Please join me once again and take out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7. And if you didn't, if you don't have a Bible, I believe we've got them in every pew. So there should be one within easy reach. As we uh, turn to God's word, let's return to him in prayer and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, may your word before us be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Those of you that know me know that I probably pay a little bit too much attention to titles. Um, I work really hard to get a title because I forget things. And if I can remember the title, I kind of got, got most everything remembered. But you might be confused. I mean, this is a confusing title, right? A blind man and a beggar? I mean, uh, you may be thinking that the title and the text got mixed, right? AI just didn't do it for us today, did it? No. Well, I know that there are blind people in the Gospels. I mean, we can look back at verse 21 of this chapter, and Jesus heals them. And we know in the Gospels there are beggars who plead with Jesus for mercy. We, we see that in, in Mark 10. We see a leper begging Jesus for healing in chapter 5. But where in this narrative that's labeled, interestingly, in our Bibles, a, a sinful woman forgiven or Jesus anointed by a sinful woman, where do we find a blind man and a beggar? Well, they're there if we spend a little bit of time and look a bit closely. Now, in the story of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, Luke, the writer of the third gospel, likes to tell the story in twos or pairs for the purpose of comparison and contrast. For example, thus far in Luke, we've seen two women expecting a baby. We've seen two old saints waiting for the Messiah. And as we continue, we'll read of two sisters welcoming Jesus into their home. Now, in particular, Luke likes to compare and contrast how two people respond to God. For example, two sons of a father, an older son and a younger son in Luke 15, and two men who went up to the temple to pray. We'll see that in Luke 18. Here is another comparison and contrast between a blind man and a beggar. Thus far in chapter 7, Luke has told us that Jesus has healed a centurion's servant. He's raised from the dead a woman, a widow's son. He's told us of John the Baptist's question and of Jesus' commendation of John. Now, today's narrative follows on from last week, illustrating the accusation we see in verse 34 that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners, as well as showing that it's time for the kingdom of God to arrive, the purpose of God to be acknowledged, and people to act appropriately. 
Now, what we're going to look at is a similar, but it's not the same story that we find in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12. There are a lot of similarities, but this is in Jesus' Galilean ministry, the early days, and the other is toward the end. It's in Bethany as he approaches the cross. This is unique to Luke. Join with me now as I read verses 36 through 50 of Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, the way we're going to open up and explore this narrative is by considering the attitudes of the three main characters. Simon, the Pharisee, an unnamed woman, and Jesus of Nazareth. Now, we've all heard the expression, right? Attitude is everything. Well, Attitude is everything is probably an over-the-top expression, excessive hyperbole, exaggeration. But even if it's not everything, it's something close to everything. But maybe it really is everything. So we're going to spend a few minutes considering Simon and the unnamed woman's attitude toward Jesus and their attitude toward themselves. 
Then we'll consider Jesus' attitude towards sinners. You see, attitude is everywhere in the text. And so first, let's consider their attitude toward Jesus. Now, where are we? And what's going on? A meal scene. I love one of the commentators of Luke says, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming away from a meal. In fact, there's a book, I think it's called Meal Times with Jesus, and it's a commentary on Luke. So we are at a meal scene, a, a luncheon or a dinner party. Guests are reclining. They are uh, resting on couches with their left elbows on the table, their feet extended outward, and their right hands reaching to the table and getting food. Now, this Pharisee's house, open courtyard, that's where the, uh, the dinner party would be held. You've got the table. Everybody's lying on their left side, feet out. Dan, is the fellowship hall big enough to do that? No, no. I think that's customary for then and there, not here. But it's a meal scene. And who's at the party? Well, there's the host. He sent the invitation, Simon, the Pharisee. And there's the invited guest, Jesus, this rabbi, this man who's becoming known in that area for, for healing and speaking and not a little bit of controversy. He's been invited. And then there's this unexpected visitor, an uninvited guest, an unnamed woman. Now, interestingly, Luke calls her a sinner the Pharisee calls her a sinner, and Jesus calls her a sinner. Now, behind and below the actions of our hands are the attitudes of the heart. I mean, the actions that we will see here reveal what is thought. They reveal what is believed, in particular, what is believed about Jesus and what is believed about themselves. Some of you are familiar with the great book On Being Presbyterian. The subtitle is Our Beliefs, Practices, and Stories, Our Doctrine, Our Life, and Our History. And the order is important because the practices don't come before the beliefs. The beliefs come before the practices. And that's what we'll see. Outwardly, we see actions, but behind and below that, are the inward attitudes of the heart. Notice the woman's attitude toward Jesus. How do you describe it other than fervent devotion? Over the top expression of affection through action of tears and hair coming down and anointing she, she has come in, she's heard about it. She's referred to as a woman of the city. Most commentators think, yes, probably prostitute, but not necessarily. But she's got the label, she's got the reputation, a sinner. And you can imagine, again, if you were the screenwriter writing this for film or stage, what would it look like to see this taking place? And it wasn't uncommon for people in that day to hang out along the walls kind of uh, as a, an important guest was there and speaking, you would have people just wander in. But here she 
goes to Jesus who's lying down. She's at his feet that are extended outward along with the other folks at the table. One commentator, J.C. Ryle, thinks that this woman is someone who has responded to the invitation of Jesus that we read in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. She has come to Jesus and is pouring out a heart of affection. Simon, the Pharisee, He's got a particular attitude toward the woman, of course. She's a sinner. What's she doing here? But he, but he expresses his attitude toward Jesus as well. Now, why has why, why Jesus been invited? Is Simon curious? Does he want to, to learn about Jesus? Is he, is he what's his motive? Well, we know that Jesus was often trying to be set up into a trap. And that doesn't necessarily seem like the case here because there is some respect. He's referred to as teacher. He's willing to, to hear Jesus speak. But as you will see, as Jesus later explained, there's a deficient hospitality on the part of, of Simon. There's a studied indifference. He, it's almost like by withholding some of the expected normal courtesies which Jesus draws attention to, Simon is sort of trying to, to, to get the upper hand, to maintain superiority, to maintain that he is the one that's in control of Jesus. The attitude of the woman, fervent devotion, the attitude of the man, Simon, studied indifference. So we've just seen and spoken briefly about their, what they believe or they think about Jesus. Simon is wondering, is, is he really a prophet? Because if he were a prophet, he would know who that is is touching him. Well, let's consider now what they think and believe about themselves. Uh, let's explore for a moment the attitude they have toward themselves. Um, notice Jesus is going to teach in the middle of this narrative account. He's going to teach through a story, the, the parable. Turn your attention to, to verse 40. Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. And then here's Jesus going to teach through a story. Now, Jesus could have been direct. Jesus could have gone through the front door. But instead, he goes an indirect route. He, he goes in the side door and, and, and the back door, as it were. Now, it's kind of like Nathan confronting David. You know, he doesn't tell him up front, directly, front door, he tells him a story, right? And David's able to identify with the story and understand that, yes, he is the man. He is the sinner. Jesus tells a story. Let's, let's listen to this story. 
A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? There's a, there's a debt that's a two months wages, 50 denarii, and there's a, a debt that's 10 times that amount, 500, or a little over 18 months. Bottom line is in this story, both debtors have a debt that they cannot pay. It doesn't matter if it's 50. It doesn't matter if it's 500. Neither one can pay. The money lender in his actions is, is utterly and absolutely gracious. No other explanation, no other, no, no other accounting other than they have a debt they cannot pay and the money lender tears up the note burns the mortgage. There's a lot of hymns that we could have sung today. And I know over the last few years we've sung this hymn with these words, we stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Back to the story in a few moments. What's the woman's attitude? What is this woman of the city who's been described three times as a sinner? What's her attitude toward herself? She, she knows her true condition. She, 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 for all intents and purposes, the backstory is that she's a spiritual beggar. Simon, on the other hand, the Pharisee's attitude toward himself, and he has an attitude toward women here, he, he, he doesn't know his condition. He is, for all intents and purposes, a spiritually blind man. There's a blind man in this story, and there's a beggar in this story. Now, attitudes toward God and toward self are related. I mean, Scripture is a window through which we can learn who God is, and Scripture is a mirror into which we look and learn a bit of who we are. John Calvin in the Institutes of the Christian Religion says at the very beginning, if you start with God, you'll get to yourself, and if you start with yourself, you'll get to God. John Newton the author of Amazing Grace, you've heard this quote and it reflects both an, an attitude toward God and an attitude toward self. He says, when I was young, I was sure of many things. Now there are only two things of which I am sure. One is that I'm a miserable sinner and the other is that Christ is an all-sufficient savior. He is well-taught who learns these two lessons. This unnamed woman knows who she is, knows who Jesus is, knows that her response of love 
is because of what he's done for her. She may have heard of him. She may have been spoken to him in a private conversation. She may have heard him speak. But she is one who has responded to the call. Jack Miller, former professor at Westminster Seminary, said the Bible is summed up in two sentences. First, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. She knows She's in great need. He continues, and second, cheer up. God's grace is a lot bigger than you think it is. She is tasting the grace found in Jesus. See, the attitudes of the women, the woman and the man are not the only ones on display here. Also made known in our text is the attitude of Jesus toward sinners. So let's think for a moment about what Jesus thinks about sinners. Remember his mission as we read in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. All kinds of people. Lost in all kinds of ways. The old, the young, the rich, the poor. Men, women, the religious, the irreligious the ones with a great reputation, the ones with a horrible reputation, who are lost in ways of what they've done, of what they've failed to do. Over and over in Luke, we will see Jesus saving all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. Jesus is going to teach a couple of theology lessons here. Look at the first lesson again in verses 41 and 42. And in verse 47, the debt of sin, the debt of sin. Uh, In verse 42, you've, you've got the gospel in one verse. A hopeless condition and an impossible gift are brought together. They couldn't pay. The debt was paid off. And the order, if you think about this, the, the order is, is important. It, it, forgiveness comes first, and it, and it produces the response of love. Love is the evidence. Her love of Jesus is the evidence of being forgiven by Jesus. So Jesus teaches a lesson on the debt of sin. There's another lesson we'll get to in a moment But let's think about Jesus' overall attitude towards sinners. It's one of compassion and mercy. If you think about the songs in Luke 1 from Mary in particular, God is merciful. He's, he's, He's remembering mercy. You see of Jesus having compassion John the Baptist was struggling with this a bit. He's he's impatient. He wants judgment now. Simon the Pharisee, representative of probably most all of the Pharisees, struggling with this as well, not seeing the need for compassion, not seeing his own need for mercy. Jesus is revealing the Father, a God merciful and gracious, as we read in Exodus 34. 
So let's think for a moment about Jesus' attitude toward the sinful, unnamed woman. He allows her to come close to him, to touch him. He's not embarrassed by this extravagant display of affection. He welcomes her, a woman of bad reputation. He welcomes her. He receives her. He's not afraid of her. He's not embarrassed by her actions. What's Jesus' attitude toward the sinful Simon, the Pharisee? Jesus does something here that is a social faux pas, a social no-no. He criticizes the host. You guys ever been, have you ever had some people in your house who you've worked really hard to to provide a a festive environment and, and they're in and they come in and one of the things they do is they tell you what you haven't done? How do you feel about that? Guests aren't supposed to do that. Jesus really doesn't care about social convention. He's after Simon's heart. He's willing to do it. But you know what? Jesus allows Simon to come close to him as well. As Dale Ralph Davis says, if Jesus didn't ever associate with, associate with moral living, religiously arrogant Pharisees, why a good number of us would not be in the kingdom of God. You see, all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. That means those who have terrible reputations and those who have good reputations, those who have never darkened the door of a church, those who are in church all the time. Because both need Jesus. You know, I was thinking, the editors of the ESV say, a sinful woman forgiven. They could have easily put a sinful man rebuked. So there's a second theology lesson, and we really see that in verse 50 toward the end. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, You see, the Protestant Reformation of which we're thinking about today was a recovery of of the right or, or better, the necessary view of salvation. Jerry Bridges in The Discipline of Grace writes that we are never so bad that we're beyond the reach of God's grace and we're never so good that we're beyond the need of God's grace It's both there. Compare and contrast Simon the Pharisee, the man, didn't recognize Jesus. The woman did, and though we don't read her words, notice there's nothing recorded that she said. Even though we don't read her words, of her words, her actions speak loud and clear. There is an all-consuming love for Jesus. John would write, the Apostle John in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. 
Our narrative ends with words that are spoken, a question and a statement. Verse 49, who is this? Who is this that can forgive sin? That even forgives sin? It's a question that every one of us has to ask and answer for ourselves. Who is this? Luke is writing to present Jesus and to assure that the things you've been taught about Jesus are true. Who is this? You see, how someone responds to Jesus really is a matter of life and death. John the Baptist is eager for Jesus to don the judicial robes and sit and wield the gavel. He will. It's coming. But now Jesus is saying it's a day of mercy and compassion. A sinful woman here in the words of the Temptations 1966 hit ain't too proud to beg. She knows she has no other hope outside of begging Jesus for mercy, for forgiveness. She recognizes in him, God come in the flesh. A self-righteous Pharisee is too proud and doesn't see his need, so he doesn't beg for mercy. So this text here is asking us to ask ourselves, am I spiritually blind? Am I willing to beg, spiritually speaking, or not? The narrative doesn't end with a question. It ends with a statement, a benediction, that anyone who comes to Jesus receives. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus ends with a word of assurance. Your faith has saved you. This is Paul writing to the Galatians saying, faith working through love. Her love of her Savior. Jesus pronounces a blessing. Go in peace. I think it was last week or the week before we heard the Aramaic blessing which ends and give you peace. Here is Jesus pronouncing a blessing. Give you peace. Peace with God. Peace from the struggle. Peace from the war. Peace from the burden, the guilt, the prison, the estrangement from God. Go in peace. The faith that I have given you is the instrument by which you reached out and took a hold of everything I've done for you in my life of perfect obedience and in my upcoming sacrificial death in your place and on your behalf. So my friends, are you blind or can you see? Are you too proud to beg 
Or do you know that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? A sinful woman forgiven. A sinful man presented with the gospel. We don't know if he believes. But your story is not finished. May God be pleased that all of us receive the blessing of peace from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for showing us in this narrative account that when your love that is demonstrated in Jesus not only gets our attention, but grabs our heart. We recognize that all we have is Christ. We recognize that he is lovely and beautiful. And we will willingly, with great joy, follow him and serve him because he has laid down his life for us. Oh, Father, would you fan into flame our love for Jesus and help us to not be embarrassed by what the world thinks of the outflow of affection of a forgiven sinner has for their Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.